So we are walking through the book of Psalms this summer. We just started last week. Psalms is the original songbook of Israel. So if you came to the temple as a faithful Jewish person, um, these are the songs you would sing. There was no question about it. It was going to be uh, one of these 150 or some variation of them. We're calling the series Anatomy of the Soul because the Psalms really speak into just about every human emotion that, uh, that you and I have ever experienced. So when you're reading the Psalms, there, if you're really paying attention, there, there should be a lot of times where you're kind of nodding your head going, oh, yeah, yeah, I felt like that. Yeah, I've, I've been there. So the Psalms really kind of affirm uh, our humanness in, in, in our emotions. But they don't stop there. Uh, the Psalms invite us to, to start with those emotions and allow that to lead us to God, to a deeper knowledge of God, to spiritual growth, rather than just kind of being stuck in, in our emotions. So when we really open our hearts to the Psalms, you should be hearing God inviting you to go deeper into him through those emotions that you have. The emotion that we're going to look at today is found in the 27th Psalm, Psalm 27, and it's the emotion of fear. You might have not known this, but um, if you read at all on a Kindle, an e-reader uh, device, um, did you know that, that uh, if you highlight when you read that uh, Amazon keeps track of everything you highlight? It's kind of creepy, right? But it's, it's actually very interesting because they periodically put out reports of the most highlighted passages in different books. So for people who read the Bible on the Kindle, um, what do you think the most highlighted verse or passage is? My first guess would have been John 3.16. Um, I would have said maybe the 23rd Psalm, um, maybe the Lord's Prayer. Right? Maybe the Ten Commandments for you know, stricter folks. Uh, you know, one of those things. It's none of those things. The most highlighted passage is actually Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, which starts out, do not be anxious about anything. It's a passage all about anxiety and fear. Isn't that interesting? Of all the things in the whole Bible, it's a passage about anxiety and fear that people have highlighted the most. And the answer that you find in that highlighted passage is actually the same answer that we encounter in Psalm 27, but in the Psalm, it does it in a bit more of a, of a colorful and memorable way. So let's look at the Word of God together. Psalm 27 today. I invite you now to hear God's Word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hold me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. 
Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So from Psalm 27, I'd like to talk today about three things. I want to talk first about the reality of fear. Then I want to talk about the thing we need most. And then finally, the reason for confidence. All right? The reality of fear, the thing we need the most when we're in those fearful situations, and the reason for confidence. So first, let's talk about the reality of fear. So this is another psalm written by David. And he's describing a time in his life that he was clearly under threat. In verse 2, he says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me. Verse 3, he talks about an army besieging him, war breaking out against him. Down in verse 12, he says, false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. So David was obviously in some kind of a dangerous situation. He was being falsely accused, being threatened with harm. He was being attacked. The stress level was through the roof. So last week, we actually talked about a couple of well-documented times in the life of David when he was really under that kind of stress. One was early in his life, before he became king, when the current king, Saul, was pursuing him, trying to kill him. And then later in his life, after he became king, his own son, Absalom, was pursuing his dad, trying to take over the throne from his father. So obviously, horrendous situations. David might have been thinking of one of those times or writing out of one of those times. Or he might be referring to one of the many just battles that he faced because of his position as the leader of Israel. Um, in verse 2, it talks about armies and wars. So this is not just a personal thing. This seemed to be kind of a national thing that was going on. And you know, it just reminds me as I was studying this that when you take on a position of leadership you are signing up for stress. Right? That Leaders, amen to that? Because like, you, your personal stress doesn't go away. You've still got family stuff. You've still got physical stuff, all that stuff. And now you've got all the concerns of you know, the organization or whatever you're leading on your shoulders. So that's true whether you're you know, a teacher, right? That's leadership. Whether you're a, a coach or you run for you know, local public office or you're a manager, you lead a team at work, you're a pastor, whatever you do that involves leadership, you are, you are putting yourself under stress and in a position to be leaders, falsely accused, gossiped about, criticized, all those things, and sometimes attacked. Um, it just goes with the territory, and those things can produce a lot of fear. But whether you're a leader or not, we all live in a world that's filled with threatening things. Did you know that um, you can look on um, dictionary.com and they've come up with a list of new words that we created because of the coronavirus pandemic. Like a whole new, we have a whole new vocabulary. And so one of the new words, they said this is, this is one of the most popular new words, it's called doom scrolling. Ever heard of doom scrolling? That's when you're supposedly going to bed and you turn out the lights and you lay there and then you take out your phone and you start to scroll. And whether you're looking at news sites or you're looking at social media apps, you begin to see the doom and gloom. Another school shooting, another stabbing on the subway, a new variant 
of the coronavirus and a spike in cases, the war in Ukraine, the economy. Anybody starting to feel the gloom, the doom? Doing my best to pull you in. <laughs> the price of gas, the next election cycle. And not only are you reading as you scroll about all the bad news, you're also reading about all the people debating and blaming each other for all the gloom, because it's always the other person's fault, right? So after you do that for a while, you turn off the lights and you try to go to sleep. Good luck with that. No wonder anxiety levels are just spiking. You're not the only one, by the way, if you feel more stress. If you've tried to, to sign up to make an appointment with a therapist or a counselor recently, many of you have gotten wait, wait listed, right? Like, no, we don't have any openings. I've never, in all of my life, all my ministry, I've never seen a wait list like that for counselors. Um, alcohol sales are way up. Road rage incidents are way up. Um, like, remember back in our Revelation series a few months ago, every week we said it, the world is getting darker, opposition to Christ and his church is getting stronger. And, and so as that goes on uh, around us, there's just reason to fear. There, there, that was true in David's world, obviously. That, that's been true in every generation. I could have given this same sermon, you know, 20 years ago in a lot of ways, but not quite as, not quite as heartfelt as I'm giving it today because things have gotten hard. So my, my whole point for this first point is just expect it. Don't, don't expect that like, oh, I can't believe things are hard. Like that's how it is, that's how it's been, and it's kind of getting tougher. There's plenty of reasons to fear. Anybody feeling cheery? Yep. <laughs> Rain in the forecast all day, by the way. <laughs> most people would not debate, most people would agree with most of what I've said so far, right? They'd go, yeah, this is kind of an unusual time of stress in our world, there's hard things going on, uh, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough world. Hard to argue with that. Where people might start to disagree, though, is, okay, what do you do about it? How do you cope with a world like this? And, and that's where the biblical answer starts to part ways a little bit with the world's answer. That leads us to point number two, the thing we need most. So when we face fear, what, what is it? What's the core thing? If you had to put your finger on one thing that we, we need to make it through that. Look what David writes in verses four and five. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple, for in the days of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. It's an amazing thing to say, that right in the middle of a traumatic, terrifying situation, David says, God, I'm just going to ask you for one thing. I just want to dwell in your house. What did he even mean by that? I mean, everybody kind of knows that when it talks about the house of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's talking about the physical structure where people would gather to worship, right? The tabernacle, which then became the permanent temple structure. So that's the house of the Lord. So is David literally saying, okay, I want to go live there? No. David was not a priest. David didn't have aspirations to, you know, enter the priesthood. But David knew what took place at the house of the Lord. What, is it, what was the core thing that happened at the house of the Lord? People encountered the presence of God. I mean, God, look, the presence of God is everywhere, right? God's omnipresent, but in a special way for that season, that period of history, God said, I'm gonna arrange for my very presence to be manifest at the temple. So when people came to the temple, the core thing they were doing was to, to commune with God, to encounter God. And so David says, Lord, in the middle of this tremendous stress that I'm facing, I'm just asking one thing of you. 
please just let me be in your presence. When you and I face fear, the thing that we need more than anything else, it's not what we might think. It's not to finally get an answer for why this happened. I just need to diagnose the situation. That's not what we need the most. It's not even to get delivered from the situation. Like that's sometimes how we think, that the way we, we approach God. The thing I need most is for you to get me out of this situation. It's not even that. It's the presence of God. Because when we have that, it changes everything in how we go through whatever that thing is. David describes it a little more down in verse eight. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. But what does that mean? What does it mean to seek the face of God? Well, think about when you're in a conversation with someone. When you're talking with someone, what part of them do, do you focus on? Are you like locked in on their knees? Are you studying their, their shoelaces? If you're really introverted, you might do exactly that. But in, in, a, in a healthy interaction, where do you look when you're talking to someone? At their face, right? Especially the eyes, right? The, I mean, the old saying, the eyes are the window to the soul. That's why you look, that's, it would just be strange to stare, you know, stare at someone's elbow when you're talking to them. Because the face, that shows the most who the person is. That you can see their emotions, you can see the, the kind of the, the core of who they are, you can see the best of any other place on, on their face. So when it says seek God's face, doesn't mean go looking for it, like God's face got to be around here somewhere. It means that you relate to God in a way that you actually experience and feel his personal presence, his him in a personal, intimate way. You know, when, you, when I look into the face of my wife, that's an intimate thing. Right? There's a knowing, there's a relationship. There's a, you know, when you gaze into someone's eyes, that it means something because you are um, making a connection with that person. And David says, that's what I need. Lord, I need that. I need to feel your personal presence. That, that's what God is inviting us to. And that's what David realized that he needed. In our most fearful moments, the thing we need more than anything else is the presence of God. Just knowing he's with us, just that alone uh, is incredibly powerful. I just heard this story about um, a Southwest Airlines flight where there was this 96-year-old woman who was flying. She hadn't flown in a long time, and she was really scared. And the, the reason I know that is because there was a, a young woman sitting across the aisle who noticed this woman who was, who was just really, you know, a, a nervous wreck. So sitting right next to the woman, she was in the, aisle, uh, in, the, in the center seat across the aisle from this young woman who was noticing this elderly woman was in the center seat. Right next to her, there was a young man they had never met before. And right before, as the, the plane started to taxi down the runway for takeoff, this lady reached over and asked this young man, could I just hold your hand while we take off? And I, I want to, a picture was taken of, of, this, of this scene. The woman's name happened to be Megan Ashley. She posted it on her Facebook page. So in the picture, it's not the woman who gets the window. That, that, that's not the woman I'm talking about. It's the woman right in the center seat who's kind of leaned up on that, on that young man. And, and here's what she wrote in her Facebook post. She asked for this man's hand during takeoff and then hugged him again when experiencing turbulence. This gentleman gladly took her hand, let her hold on to him, calmed her by talking to her and explaining everything that was happening. This man was her flight angel. She was so grateful that she wanted to give him her flight pretzels. <laughs> I don't think I would have wanted those. <clears throat> Hats off to you, sir, 
for your kind heart and your compassion towards someone whom you've never met before. Um, so it's a great story of human kindness, right? But think about what actually this man did for her. The elderly woman still had to go through the flight, right? He didn't rescue her off the plane. I'll get you off of here. She still had to go through turbulence, right? He didn't stop the turbulence from happening. He didn't take that away. So what did he actually provide for her? His presence. And that's all she really needed. In our times of fear, we don't necessarily need for God to, to rescue us, for us to be spared from, from this pain that we're going through. In fact, there's probably some reasons that we actually need to be on that flight experiencing whatever that thing is, right? What we need most is the presence of God. To dwell in the house of the Lord, to seek his face, and because of Jesus, remember when Jesus showed up, he became flesh and he became the temple. God's presence was now in him. And when Jesus left this earth, he left the Holy Spirit in believers so that we become the temple of God. So now what that means is in order to experience the presence of God, to seek his face, that's not just in the temple anymore. That's just not in the hour that we spend in church. You can seek the face of God in your morning devotional time. I hope you're carving out some minutes to do that in the morning. You can experience the face of God on your morning commute to work as you listen to worship music, as you, as you meditate on that. You can draw near to the presence of God and, 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 and feel his face, his presence, when you're you know, on, the, on, on the beaches of the Jersey Shore this summer, when you're on the top of that mountain that you hike this summer. When we are in the midst of fearful situations, what we need most is to draw near to God, experience his face, and to know his presence. Leads to the final question, and it's this. If you do that, if you say, okay, this is what I need the most, I'm going to choose to seek the face of God, how can we be so sure that we'll find what it is that we're looking for? So final point, the reason for confidence. As I studied this, this psalm, there, there was something that struck me, and it was this. Our part, the part that, that we're called to play, is pretty simple. When we're in a stressful situation, our part is to seek the face of God. That's it. But look at all the things that God does. In verse one, it says, God is my light, my salvation, and my stronghold. I just gotta seek his face. He does that for me. In verse five, it says, God will keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. He'll set me, think about this, high upon a rock. I just need to seek his face. So David is trusting for God to come through for him and protect him. And then you get to verse nine and David prays this prayer. Do not hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my savior. In other words, God, I'm doing my part. I, I'm seeking you. I'm turning to you. So please, Lord, do your part. Don't, don't make yourself hard to find. Don't hide your face. When I turn to you, please be there. And David is so confident in how God will answer that prayer. Look what he says in the very next verse. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And David's not saying his mom and dad have kicked him out of the house. This is a poetic device to say, even if it got that bad, even if everyone in the world turned against me, even if my own mother and father wouldn't talk to me, Lord, you would still receive me. I, I know your love is that faithful. And the word that he uses for receive is such a great Hebrew word. It's a word that means to gather. Like if you're gathering sheaves of grain, that's the same word. 
It's used often of a father who gathers up his child and holds him to his chest in affection and security. And David says, even if the whole world turns on me, God, I know you're going to be faithful. So David says, Lord, don't hide your face from me. Don't reject me. And in the very next breath, he says, I know you'll never reject me, even if everybody else does. It's an incredible level of confidence in his spiritual life, isn't it? Here's something even more incredible. You and I have reason to have even a stronger confidence. Because about a thousand years after this was written, Jesus went to the cross. And you remember, we talked about it last week in Psalm 22. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in the Psalm today, David is saying, Lord, don't forsake me. Jesus was forsaken on the cross. In today's Psalm, David is saying, Lord, don't don't hide your face from me. Don't turn away from me. But on the cross, the face of the father was turned away from his son as the righteous judgment of God was poured out on the sins of the world, our sins, on Jesus, in our place for us. Think about it like this. On the cross, Jesus lost the face of God so that you and I would never have to. Amen? And what a savior. So if David had confidence that God would be there for him, God would come through for him, we have even more. We stand on this side of the cross. This is the confidence that Paul just kind of erupts with at the end of Romans 8 when he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that? You need to, whatever fear is in your heart, would you allow God to push it out and displace it with this? This is strong enough to just shove out the fear that's in your heart because this is such a powerful truth. There's a a well-known African-American pastor named H.B. Charles. And he talked about a woman uh, that he knew who came to church every week and she always prayed the same prayer. Every week her prayer was, oh Lord, Thank you, Jesus. That was it, every week. The kids in church, would every time she opened her mouth, the kids in church would start to laugh because they knew what was going to come out of her mouth. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. They would mimic it as she said it. It's all she prayed. And so one time, somebody got up the nerve to ask her, why is that the one prayer you always pray? And she said, well, I'm just combining the two prayers that I know. We live in a bad neighborhood, and some nights there are bullets flying. And I have to grab my daughter and hide on the floor. And in that desperate state, all I know how to cry out is, oh, Lord. But when I wake up in the morning and I see that we're okay, I say, thank you, Jesus. There's just been a lot of shootings lately. When I got to take my baby to the bus stop, And she gets on that bus, and I don't know what's going to happen to her while she's away. I cry, oh, Lord. And then when 3 p.m. comes and that bus arrives and my baby is safe, I say, thank you, Jesus. So she said, those are the only two prayers I know. And when I get to church, God has been so good to me that I just put my two prayers together. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And, you know, in, in Psalm 27, David takes 14 verses to basically say the same thing, doesn't he? Oh, Lord, I'm surrounded by enemies and armies and false accusers. 
But thank you, Jesus. Even if the whole world turns against me, you'll never turn your face away. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Maybe we should try that this week as we, as we turn to God, just kind of really simplify it. <laughs> Maybe that should be your approach tomorrow morning. Like, oh, Lord, I woke up with a migraine again. Oh, Lord, my, my elderly father's dementia is getting worse. Worse. Oh, Lord, my boyfriend broke up with me. Oh, Lord, the price of gas went up again. Oh, Lord, things are falling apart in Ukraine. But thank you, Jesus, that through all the turbulence of life, you hold my hand and you'll never forsake me. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. That's pretty simple, isn't it? (laughs) So at the very end of the psalm, in the last two verses, David summarizes everything he's been saying. Verse 13, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then here's his final instruction for us. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Anybody notice what the first two words of Psalm 27 are? You can look. The Lord. Anybody notice what the last two words of Psalm 27 are? The Lord. Because at the end of the day, the answer to fear is the Lord. It's a pretty simple answer. And I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet for our closing. And we're actually going to close our service with, with worship today. So let me ask the worship team to come up as I, as I offer our closing prayer. But we've been talking about this, this great God. We've been singing about him today. Let's just turn to him and talk to him together as a group. Oh, Lord. You know the pain that we are dealing with in different parts of our lives, Lord, in our bodies, in our families, in our schools. Lord, you know, oh Lord, we cry out to you for your protection. But mostly we cry out, Lord, for your presence. And thank you, Jesus, that because the cross of Christ happened, Lord, that you took our place. Thank you that we know the Father will never turn his face away from us. God, this week, I pray that you would help us to feel the face of God, that we'd feel the presence of God in our lives when we need him the most. Lord, we turn to worship you now because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.